Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Mason. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Mason Denver at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. Told you about this at the top of the show. Want to repeat it again because you have a chance to go up to Wild Cards Casino or Sasquatch Casino and be part of this huge giveaway that we've been promoting for months now. They are giving away nearly $18,000 in cash or up to $30,000 towards the lease or repurchase of a vehicle from Omera Ford, the grand prize drawing this weekend. Get finalist entries every half hour from 10 a.m. until midnight during their daily cash drawings or by redeeming players' points. Get on up there. I can tell you firsthand, really loose slots. It's a family-owned business. They've got a sports book as well, and you're just going to love going up there like I do. Go to Sasquatch and Wildcard Casinos. Time now for the lead. The lead is presented by Smoke and Dave's Barbecue and Brew, Colorado's best barbecue since 2007. Go get some tonight in Denver, Centennial, Longmont, Lions, and Estes Park. All right, our friend Mark Kisler wrote a column today about John Elway calling him to let Kis know that he would like to join an ownership group. There was a report last week by Woody Page saying that Elway was part of an ownership group. Manning was part of an ownership group. I'm guessing Manning is. I don't know for sure. But according to Elway, he wasn't part of an ownership group. And now we know that because Kisla reported that because Elway called him to tell him that. Why do you think Elway would call Kiz? To put his name out there that if you are going to bid on the Broncos and have a high bid, I'd be happy to help. I want to be a part of it. Your way, but I see it a little bit more cynically. John Elway is a legend in Colorado, and I don't think anything will take away from that. From what he did as a quarterback, putting the Broncos on the map, all all due respect to the Orange Crush defense in 1977. He did what he did as a Hall of Fame quarterback. He did what he did as an executive, getting Peyton Manning here, going to two Super Bowls, winning one. We know what has happened over the last six years, and we know all the businesses that he has started here. But unfortunately, in a world that we live in, which is what have you done for me lately? That's what people seem to remember about John Elway. Let's put into perspective the poll that you put out on Twitter, which was who would you rather see have an ownership stake in the Broncos, Manning or Elway? And it was overwhelming for Manning, wasn't it? Yeah, like 88%. It was Manning, Elway, or neither. Manning, 88%. Elway, 7%. Neither, 5%. From 1983 through 2015, excuse me for saying this, I'm not trying to sound misogynistic, 
John Elway was the best looking girl at the bar that everybody wanted to go out with and everybody wanted to talk to. Now, Peyton Manning is the best looking girl at the bar. John Elway is no longer that desirable. And if Drew Litton, who does excellent cartoons, he's done them in the newspapers in Denver for as long as I can remember. I, I have a suggestion for him on the cartoon he should illustrate for John Elway and how I believe not only John Elway feels about himself in Denver, but how people feel about him. Picture John Elway on a horse riding into a horizon line on a sunset with his shoulders shrugged and his chin buried in his chest in shame because of what has happened over the last six years. John Elway does not need to explain himself to anyone in this community, but people remember the last six years. And now Peyton Manning is the most popular girl at the dance and Elway wants people to know, Hey, I'm still available to be asked out on a date. And one of the things that Elway said in Kisla's column was this. The last thing I want is for this sale to be about John Elway versus Peyton Manning. And this is why he doesn't want it to be that way. Because 88% of the people are going to want Peyton Manning and not John Elway. And think about how difficult it probably was for Elway to even make that call to Kiz. Kiz has not been his number one supporter. Kizla is not the guy who waves John Elway pom-poms. Woody Page has done that plenty. And that's not a knock on Woody. He's a fantastic writer. And that is not a knock on Mike Kliss, who has done the same thing. But those are, those are friendly writers to John Elway, generally speaking. Is that fair to say? Yeah, and and the thing the thinking probably is that if you're John Elway and and you and you want this calm out there, you want it from somebody who's not writing the hagiography, as it were. Correct. So Elway sucks it up and calls Kisla, a guy who has been very critical of Elway. I can't imagine that was a very easy phone call to make for him. I'm calling one of my detractors. <laughs> John Elway does not need to explain himself to anyone. I have been critical of John Elway. But at the end of the day, I respect who he is. But the truth is, the last six years have completely tarnished part of his legacy. Now, as time goes on, I'm not saying people are going to forget about that. Because at the end of the day, when time goes on, generally speaking, presidents whether you dislike them or not at the time, tend to be, I don't know, you tend to be more forgiving about them as you move on. Same with players and same with coaches, unless those players and coaches were complete disasters. 50 years from now, people will talk about Josh McDaniels like they talk about him today. But as we move forward, I'll give you a good example. I think as the years go on, people are going to speak more fondly of John Fox than they, they did. They already are. Three, four, that's my point. We're already there on that, yeah. That's my point. So for John Elway, it is going to take time. But it makes me sad that John Elway 
feels that he's no longer the hottest girl at the dance anymore. Because the truth is, he's not, and he knows he's not. Yeah. And what's so ironic about it is, is that when Peyton Manning came here, it's John Elway. Manning, one of the reasons he came where here was because of John Elway. He wanted to relate to another Hall of Fame quarterback. And 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 Elway said to him, you can win here. I'm going to build a team. We already have guys here that can help you win a Super Bowl. And everything was going great. But John Elway wielded the power. So much, in fact, he said to Peyton Manning, I'm so powerful, I'm going to either force you to retire or you take a $10 million pay cut. That's where the line was drawn in the sand. And I don't think Manning, from what I know about him, will ever forget about that. And now the tables have turned. And even though Peyton was able to learn, earn back every last nickel of that, because right. literally they had to win the Super Bowl for him to right. recover what, he, what Elway asked him to give up. Right. But now Peyton Manning is on ESPN two. He, I, I, I don't know a company that he doesn't promote locally or nationally. The NFL absolutely loves him. His hall of fame speech was legendary. He is the most popular guy in the NFL. And I'm including Tom Brady. John L or Peyton Manning is more popular than Tom. He's more He can make the case. He is more popular than any player that has ever played the game of football. And he's retired. You know what? That's kind of similar to Michael Jordan. Yeah. Michael Jordan is still popular today, but to have him, but to have that popularity seep into John Elway's backyard, that can't feel good where he has to call a guy, one of his detractors, and say, hey, I'm available if anybody wants to go out with me. I mean, you you wonder what went through his mind that kind of that, that led to that. And I think you're kind of hitting on the psychology of it a little right. bit. The, the other thing also that I find myself thinking is this. Um, this game, this sport, the NFL humbles everybody no matter how good you are at some point yeah but it did humble him on the field right that's the thing it helped off the field and there's nothing he could do about it right he can't go on the field on sunday and prove everybody wrong and it's over and the other thing is he was always someone he all like he sometimes i think he kind of took the whole comeback elan that he had as a player and tried to apply it to you know, to when he was running the team, like even when, like, okay, the Broncos, they're struggling, but you know what? We bring in Joe Flacco, and he's a guy who's been great, and we're going to have that comeback with Joe Flacco. You start kind of going through your mind. You know, you pick Drew Locke, and you throw him out, and, and you throw him out there. Okay, that that's going to be the guy that kind of saves the my reputation, that, you know, cements it for the long term in Denver. And eventually, you run out, you run out of, avenues for that for that comeback and for, for that last minute scramble comeback and that's what kind of him putting it out there like that it kind of feels like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do one pull off one more unlikely thing but this might be the unlikeliest of all because if you know this team I- goes to an auction 
as it were, or not, not an auction, like not a traditional auction, but you know, one where you've had, a, you've had potential buyers vetted and it simply goes to the highest bidder. There's a pretty decent chance that the highest bidder is going to be somebody who has billions upon billions and views this as an easy way to get a team and may say, I don't necessarily need John Elway's help. I got to tell you something. I, I have I have empathy and I have compassion for Elway for this reason. Not that he certainly needs it from me. Mm-hmm. He has made more money than he knows what to do with. He's had more success than he knows what to do with. He's had more fame than he knows what to do with. So if you want to use an analogy, he built the biggest, most beautiful house on the block. And he lived there essentially from 1983 to 2015 and everybody drove by that house and said that's john elway's house and he was the big house on the block Mm -hmm. and you know what that house is today that's where peyton manning lives and elway is in the guest suite in the backyard yeah the other and, and and you can say that kind of for the broncos as a whole that um even like six years ago in the afc west the Broncos had the grandest had the grandest mansion in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. and now those mansions are in Kansas City. Yeah, and even and even the Chargers and Raiders are living in pretty nice houses, and the Broncos are in a place that's just run down and in desperate need of repair. Yep. Coming up after the break, when you look at the eight teams left in the playoffs, six of those teams have one thing in common. And should that commonality affect the coaching search for the Broncos? That's next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Mason. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products. Twitter feed at Mason Denver at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. In the meantime, I want to tell you about Colorado Off-Road. They have all the major accessory brands for your truck, your car, your Jeep, your SUV, and you're going to love going there for other reasons than that. Listen, you need some aftermarket, they can take care of it. You need something installed, they can take care of it. The big box stores, they don't do that. That's what you're going to get at Colorado Off-Road. And with winter coming, and I know, listen, winter coming the weather's been warm and it feels like well it's not really winter listen it's going to eventually snow and you want to be ready and you want to go to colorado off-road if you need anything to upfit other thing i love about colorado off-road the owner jerry he's from littleton wants to keep his business in littleton that's exactly what he has done colorado off-road is colorado grown colorado owned it's colorado off-road go to cooffroad.com today time now for the buzz the buzz is presented by rocky mountain eurosport 
Go for a test drive today in Denver or Parker because everyone deserves a luxury car buying experience. Or find them online at rmeurosport.com. All right, let's look at the eight teams left in the playoffs. Six of them have offensive-minded head coaches. Kyle Shanahan, Bruce Arians, Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, Andy Reid, and Matt LaFleur. Two defensive-minded coaches, Mike Vrabel and Sean McDermott. So, with the NFL being more offensive-oriented because of the rules changes, listen, scoring is up, let's call it like it is, can you make the case? It makes sense to hire an offensive-minded head coach. You can make the case, but the thing is, I think it's interesting to kind of take a look and say, all right, how many NFL head coaches are kind of are offensive-based and how many are are defense or or special teams this past season? So you start kind of going, going down the list, and the, proportionally you're seeing it's about right in terms of offensive versus defensive in the uh, – in the final eight here, I think it's just you're looking for a really good coach. Wait, you're saying it's you're saying it's balanced? Well, the, it, it, if you had an equal number of offensive and defensive head coaches, then you'd say yeah, it favors offense. But right now, you don't have an equal number of offensive and defensive head coaches league wide. No, because it's all about offense. Right, right. That's why that, that and that's why it's like there are more first-time head coaches with teams in the playoffs than retread head coaches. But by the end of the season, you only had six retreads that were head coaches of the 32. And four of them made the playoffs. This is the one big advantage that you have hiring an offensive-minded head coach in an offensive league. Kyle Shanahan, if he wins, he's not going anywhere. They're going to keep that offensive mind, right? Right. Sean McVay, if he keeps winning, no reason to think he won't. They'll keep that offensive mind. Same with Zach Taylor. Same with Andy Reid for as long as he wants to coach. Same with Matt LaFleur if he can continue to do what he's doing with Aaron Rodgers before he retires. Mm -hmm. Because this league is all about offense. And listen, the Broncos need to hire the guy who they think is the best head coach regardless of what side of the ball it's on. I keep seeing on Twitter, you do the same thing. We need an offensive-minded head coach. We need an offensive-minded head coach. It's great to have an offensive-minded head coach as an offensive coordinator, but not necessarily as a head coach. But I understand this, and the Broncos need to take the first step before they worry about the second step. And this is what I mean by the second step. Let's say for the sake of argument, they hire Quinn, right? Right. And he hires Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers. And he turns around the Broncos offense. What are the Broncos going to be doing after next season? Looking for an offensive coordinator. You got it. But if you got that offensive-minded head coach, you're not. Right. And, I mean, look, the one thing that, that Dan Quinn did do really well was identify offensive coordinators who maybe they didn't maintain – things at quite as well as they were when Kyle Shanahan was the Falcons OC, but they were still top eight in the league in total offense under Dirk Cutter, top eight in the league in total offense under Steve Sarkeesian. Now, that being said, if you do hire Dan Quinn, what you'd like to do is, especially if you bring in a Mike McDaniel or someone else off of the Shanahan Kubiak McVay. How about Getze? Yeah. How about Getze out of the Packers? But what's going to happen? If he's successful, right. what's going to happen? 
He's going to be gone. And then you start rotating through offensive coordinators. And that's why you now, need to. That's but, why I think when you, if you do hire a defensive coordinator, ideally you're thinking, all right, we've got the uh, defensive mind head coach. You're saying, all right, we've got this OC. Who is next? Who is the one who's going to step up and fill that role with hopefully a minimum of drop off? You want, and I would say, if one of the that's one of the questions that if I were George Payton or or somebody in the Broncos interview uh, tonight, I would ask Dan Quinn. All right, because he I'm sure he shares what he wants his offensive coordinator plan to be. And then my question would be, all right, you succeed, you go, you go, you go eleven and six, your offense improves, and next at this time next year, you're saying goodbye to your offensive coordinator. What who who's next in line? It's important. I think that's an important question to answer if you're Dan Quinn going through that interview. And it would be an important question for Gerard Mayo of the Patriots because he's a defensive guy to answer if he when he goes through this interview process. Uh, I don't think that George Payton even needs to ask that question. Why? You know why? Why? Because let's look at Dan Quinn's offensive staff the year they won the Super Bowl. The offensive coordinator was Kyle Shanahan. The quarterback's coach was Matt LaFleur. The offensive assistant was Mike LaFleur. And the offensive assistant was Mike McDaniel. Kyle Shanahan's the head coach of the 49ers. LaFleur is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Mike McDaniel is the offensive coordinator for the 49ers. And Mike LaFleur is the offensive coordinator for the Jets. He hired some pretty good guys. Yes, he did. But I still, that I still want hell of a staff. Right. He, yeah. And give him credit. I still want to know what the answer to the question is. No, no, and I understand that. Yes. I get it. I say it half jokingly. Yeah. What I'm saying is, if you ask me that question, my answer is Shanahan, Lafleur, Lafleur, McDaniel. I know how to put together a coaching staff on offense, and that's a skill, and that's one reason why I think Dan Quinn is the best choice for the job here. It's because, even though, and look, and we can actually question some of the hires on the defensive side that he made in Atlanta, but in terms of off identifying offensive coaches offensive coaching talent that is a skill that Quinn possesses and that's part of and that's part of the good thing that you get out of him is that he he knows who and and what he wants and he's got and he'll have he'll have he'll have probably multiple good coaches to choose from uh, even if the 49ers for some reason did try to block uh, Mike McDaniel from going to be the OC there there I'm I don't doubt that he would still get the OC higher right if he had to go to plan B. Uh, by the way, um, who who else was on that staff um, for the Falcons in which after Shanahan left, the offense was still pretty good? Like him or not, Steve Sarkeesian. Right. He was on that staff as well. And they really didn't skip. They, they skipped a beat a little bit, but not much in 2018. Wait, I, I didn't think he was on. When, what was he doing on the staff in 2016? Uh, or 20, um, I'm sorry, Sarkeesian? Yeah, I, 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 I thought they brought uh, him in Sar from outside. Oh, no. They did. Yeah, they, they brought did. they brought it, yeah, because he was not on the 2016 staff. He was, he was on the 17th Right, because he was working for, uh, he was working for, I believe, uh, Nick Saban at Alabama for a year, right? He was. Yes. He was. He was the interim OC. Right. But then they bring in Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian did a pretty good job, didn't he? Right. 
And again, right. that's, yeah, he but he went but the, three he went three for three on his offensive coordinator hires, right? Because all of them in Quinn's full season had the Falcons in the top quarter of the league in offense. Again, not as they weren't as potent as they were in the Kyle Shan in in the second Kyle Shanahan year, but they didn't fall off a cliff. They were still better than the offense was before Dan Quinn got there. Right. Uh, the mistake that I have been told that Quinn made the year that he was fired was hiring Dirk Cutter. That, what I was told, was a mistake. Because he had an old school type of offense that just didn't work. And yet it was still top eight in 2019 total offense. It, yeah, wasn't, but then bad. They, it wasn't bad. Right. But then, the, but then the year he got fired, it collapsed. Yes. They Correct. Got, and then, and then everything kind of came apart from there. All right, coming up after the break, I tease at the top of the show. You and I had a conversation yesterday uh, talking about when you look at an offensive coordinator, how responsible is that offensive coordinator for a quarterback's not only development, but for how good that quarterback is? Brian Dayball, Josh Allen, Eric Bieniemy, Patrick Mahomes, right? There's a long list of guys, right? Right. You look at the offensive coordinator, I'll show you a great quarterback. But just how responsible is an offensive coordinator for how great a quarterback is doing? Because a lot of people look at Dayball, right, and say, well, look how he developed Josh Allen. I talked to somebody in the Bills organization today about that. Not so fast. That's next. Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Mason. Watch us. Milehighsports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Mace Denver at Eric Goodman. If you are looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Time now for What's Trending. What's Trending. Presented by Silterhar Mazda. Get to Silterhar in Broomfield for a no-pressure buying experience at Silterhar Mazda. Or find them at sthmazda.com. Mace, is it fair to say that Brian Dayball is going to get some interviews and he can get a lot of looks as a head coaching candidate because of the Bills offense and specifically the growth of Josh Allen? Yes. Is it fair to say that a lot of people feel Eric Bieniemy should get a lot of looks as a head coach because of the Chiefs offense and the development of Patrick Mahomes? There are some people who say that, yes. Not on okay. this show. Not on this show. No, 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 not on this show. And there are only two of us, and I know yeah. it's not me. And I'm, I'm guessing you mean not you either, Danny. Do you believe that? Are you going to be, are you going to be a detractor on that? Um, no, no, I'm with you okay. guys. Okay. We, so s- we saw the enemy at CU, especially. That's another yeah. f- that that factors into. Okay. So I had a conversation with somebody in the Bills organization. I said to him, "How much do you think Brian Dayball influenced?" and help Josh Allen's development. And he said to me, and he he said it very well. He said, Dayball was certainly a part of it, 
But the guys I suppose you should probably give the most credit to in terms of developing Josh Allen are his quarterbacks coach, Ken Dorsey, because he spends a lot of time with Josh Allen and a guy by the name of Jordan Palmer. Now, if you don't know the name Jordan Palmer, he is considered to be a quarterback guru. NFL quarterbacks, specifically young ones, fly to go work with him in the offseason. Especially leading into the draft, like Drew Locke worked out with him for a while. He sure did. This is his resume of recent quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Drew Locke, Deshaun Watson, Joe Burrow, and Trevor Lawrence. Josh Allen still works with Jordan Palmer. I, I, you know, I love my analogies, so let me throw this one at you. A quarterback coach is a farmer, okay? Is a farmer. He grows the crops. If you're a vegetarian restaurant, right? He gets the grows the peppers and the onions. He cultivates great ingredients, right? The chef isn't a farmer. He's not. He's not sitting, you know, watering the crops. He is taking those crops and making something great out of it. Which is a, which is a offers. skill too. No because doubt. You, you've got to season it no, right. No. You've got to have the right balance of everything. It's a different type of skill, but it's a but it's a That's it's right. a valuable skill. I'm not suggesting it isn't. It's an incredibly valuable skill. Right. You take those crops that the farmer has grown and you make a masterpiece out of it. That's the chef. That's your offensive coordinator. Your head coach is the restaurateur. He's the owner. He's the one who gets all the credit, right? We're going to this guy's restaurant. You're not saying you're going to the restaurant, generally speaking, because of this chef. And you're certainly not going to a restaurant because of who the farmer is. But at the end of the day, when you look at the Kansas City Chiefs as an example, make no mistake about it. This is Andy Reid's offense. And you and I talked about this yesterday as well. Eric Bieniemy helps put together the game plans. Before this year, I'm sorry from the people who I've talked to, believe what you want. I've talked to enough people who know the inner workings of the Chiefs organization. Eric Bieniemy was not even close to being the chief play caller for the Chiefs before the start of this season. As it was said to me by a former NFL executive, if Eric Bieniemy called one play a game, it was a lot. That was Andy Reid's offense. He was the guy calling the plays. Now, this season, Bieniemy calling far more plays, specifically the beginning of the season. But the Chiefs' offense wasn't very good at the beginning of the season. And I was told Reid started taking over more of those play-calling opportunities. Why am I bringing this up? Not to bash Eric Bieniemy. I'm bringing this up because who is the quarterback's coach of the Chiefs? A guy by the name of Mike Kafka, who before he came to Kansas City, he was the quarterback's coach of Cam Newton during his MVP year. But who was the offensive coordinator, Mace? Of Cam Newton in the MVP year? Yes. Mike Shula. And what do people say about Mike Shula? Look what he did with Cam Newton. He put together the game plan to make Cam Newton look good, but he wasn't working with Cam Newton probably every day like Dorsey was. And now Dorsey, or excuse me, like 
like like uh, uh, what should we call like Dorsey was. Yeah, right? like, yeah. Mike Shula was actually getting, Mike Shula was actually Cam Newton's first quarterback coach, right? And right. did lay and did lay the groundwork for what Cam Newton became. So he kind of right. he has his role kind of in both areas. The bottom line is this: Mike Kafka has been Patrick Mahomes' quarterbacks coach since he got there, mm-hmm. and what does uh, Andy Reid think of? Mike Kafka, well, how do you like this trajectory when you look at his resume? All right. He started his coaching career. He was a former NFL quarterback, by the way. He started as a grad for assistant for Andy Reid, actually. What's that? He, he played a couple of years for Andy Reid in Philadelphia as a backup. Look how fast he's moved up the food chain. That tells you what Andy Reid thinks about him. He started his coaching career with the Chiefs in 2017, offensive quality control coach. The next year, he was promoted to quarterbacks coach for 2018-2019. 2020 promoted quarterbacks coach, passing game coordinator. What's the next step, Mace? What's after that? Offensive coordinator. You got it. And the Chiefs are really worried about him getting interviews to be an OC. Really worried about that. They don't want to lose him at all. And the thi- all. and the thing is, I mean, I'm actually kind of uh, in in a way, I'm surprised that he hasn't gotten that Kafka has not gotten head coaching interviews. But I wonder if some of that is to do with how. Why would he? Well. Andy, Andy Reid. Why, and, why would Getzy? Why would Getzy get a an interview as a quarterbacks coach too? Well, he's he got a head coach interview with the Broncos. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Andy Reid. Let me finish. Got hired off of Green Bay, off of being a quarterback coach. But I do believe that there is some in NFL circles. There, there are people who maybe don't want to deal with the questions that would come with saying, well, you're interviewing Eric, uh, Mike Kafka, but you're not interviewing the guy ahead of him, Andy, or Eric Bieniemy. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's a reason why you haven't seen Kafka's name come out, even though, uh, come out in terms of being a head coach candidate, even though he may well be a very good quarterback-centric head coach in the future. From what I've been told, listen, Eric Bieniemy. I've said what I need to say about him. Okay. Andy Reid does not want to lose Kafka at all. And his next step is to be an offensive coordinator. And I'd be stunned if he's not interviewed for an offensive coordinator position. So for some reason, Eric Bienemy gets a head coaching job. I'm sure that Andy Reid will shake his hand and say, Eric, congratulations. Mm -hmm. You've worked your way up. You've earned it. And right when Eric walks out the door, he's going to have his arms wide open and give Kafka a big hug and say, you're my new offensive coordinator. Yep. What do we have coming up on Just In Case You Missed It? Some athletes really don't enjoy uh, talking to the media after a loss, after a win. Anytime the NBA might be uh, making that situation worse with a certain policy and also changes coming to the NHL's COVID testing policy. That'll be next on the other side right here on Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason on Mile High Sports. Afternoon Drive.
Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Mason. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Maze Denver at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. By the way, Deck Prescott uh, addressed what happened uh, today after what happened in that uh, in the game in which, let's face it, the Cowboys totally mismanaged the clock. He said, I deeply regret the comments I made regarding the officials after the game on Sunday. I was caught up in the emotion of a disappointing loss, and my words were uncalled for and unfair. Maybe he also realized that he totally screwed up and he didn't know that he needed to hand the ball to the umpire. Well, I think uh, th- that's a different matter entirely, but uh, making the comment that kind of uh, was encouraging the people that uh, uh, were throwing projectiles at the officials and also at the Cowboys as, as, as they left the building, um, yeah, th- that, was, that was something that he needed to walk back post-haste. Time now for the final word. The final word. Is presented by the McKenzie Law Firm. Don't wait before it's too late. Protect your family by setting up a will, living will, or estate plan with Dan McKenzie at themckenziefirm.com. Just in case you missed it. Just in case you missed it, the NBA handing out a couple of fines in recent days due to profanity during uh, players meeting the media. Matt Moore, NBA writer for the Action Network at HP Basketball on Twitter, he tweeted, quote, don't fine players for profanity, please. We don't need another reason for them to hate doing media. It's how they talk. It's how people talk. Let them be real. Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News quote tweeted that and added, case in point, Julius Randle hasn't talked to media since he was fined. That doesn't help anybody. Should players be fined for profanity during media sessions? No. Absolutely not. If anything, I I don't want players fined for moments that I think are honest and authentic. And I believe what happens is if you start doing that, players start having a filter and then all of a sudden you get even more watered down, canned, politically correct responses that are just what they think people want to hear and don't reflect what they actually feel in their heart, their soul, and their guts. And so okay, I, let, I think this is I think it's a terrible move to find out. Let, let, let me make sure that I understand this because I'm new to the party on this story because I hadn't heard about this story. Are you talking about at press conferences or live radio and television? Press conferences. Oh God, no! I, they, they should be able to swear all they want to. Edit it out. Hey, listen, D- Domata Pekka used to swear all the time when we interviewed Les. When Les and I interviewed him, I know. Constantly. Me too. I, lo- I, right. I love that all the time. I, I, it didn't bother. We just bleeped it out. So be it. Now, if you're doing an interview with Tracy Wolfson live after a game, quite frankly, that doesn't bother me either. But it's going to bother a lot of other people. Doesn't bother me, but it's going to bother a lot of other people. That I can understand. Yeah, people. Uh, people are just a little too sensitive these days. Sometimes I agree. You know what? Maybe they should put games on HBO and they can swear all they want to. Or when the NFL eventually goes to Apple and eventually goes to Amazon, 
they'll be able to swear live whenever they feel like it. Because that's where the NFL is going anyway. Right, Mace? That's, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, hey, Amazon, ESPN is already, you know, not subject to FCC jurisdiction because they're cable. And we saw right. an S-bomb get on the Manning cast last night. Right. <laughs> right. And, I, hey, that's fine. I love it. I love the authenticity. Just in case you missed it, sources have told Emily Kaplan of ESPN that the NHL will no longer test asymptomatic players and staff for COVID after the All-Star break. Uh, All-Star weekend will take place in Las Vegas February 4th and 5th. The NHL just had a slew of postponements last month. Does uh, stopping testing now make sense? Well, I mean, this is th- this is what the NFL did. Same thing. You know, if you're asymptomatic, you're not going through uh, the testing process, and then it... Uh, it means that you've got a, a shorter time to come back if you're vaccinated. So this is this is just one of those steps that is part of a pandemic becoming endemic, and you just kind of live with it in order to kind of keep going. That's what that's what this is. At the risk of being a conspiracy theorist, is it fair to say over the final two three weeks of the season there were lots of COVID tests that were positive in the NFL? Yeah. Oh. Heck yeah! I mean that's that's where you started seeing the breakouts. I mean when the day after the Broncos wait, wait, no, no. wait no, no the day after the Broncos played the Raiders there were four Raiders starters on defense and several others who mm-hmm. tested positive and then yep. lo and behold what happened a few days later for the Broncos boom it was bloom it was blooming like the flowers in the springtime. Oh, uh, that's not even where I'm going. So rampant COVID throughout the NFL, weeks 16, 17, and 18, right? Yep. Have there been any positive COVID tests during the playoffs? Not yet. Not to my knowledge. Oh, isn't that interesting? So allow me to throw that conspiracy theory out there. Well, All of a sudden, COVID disappeared right when the playoffs started. Has one player player have to do is just say they don't have symptoms, right? Has one player that you are aware of? Missed a game, a playoff game because of COVID. Again, not to my knowledge. I don't Interesting. Have in front of me. Wow. The, what are the odds of that? The players know how important these games are, Eric. So they're that's being right. extra careful. Yeah, or they're simply. Oh, I've got a. a I've one, got a. Sni- I've got a that's sniffle. A no, it's. I've got a sniffle. I'm not going to tell anybody. Oh, I'm. Oh, I'm fine. Oh. <coughs> oh no, I'm fine. And they were like. Okay, go out there and practice. This is what I mean by conspiracy theory. I'm wondering how stringently they are testing. That's my point. During the playoffs. Well, again, they're only testing if they report symptoms. So the players have to self-report the symptoms before they get tested. And that's why I think you've got guys who are just kind of saying, you know, oh, (coughs) I feel (coughs) great. Right, right. (laughs) Just in case you missed it, uh, according to Adrian Dater of Colorado Hockey Now, an NHL source has told him there will be no supplemental discipline of any kind for Jordan Greenway for his collision yesterday with Darcy Kemper. Uh, Your thoughts? Gee, I'm shocked. It's ridiculous. It really is. It's sad and it's ridiculous. I I, I mean, apparently this this is okay now. Listen, if, if we want to play slap shot, that's fine. Just make sure that it's it's equal for everybody. Just make sure Nazim Kadri, who was just named to the all-star team today and good for him, just make sure when he does something like that in the playoffs, don't suspend him. Don't suspend him this time. Because apparently it's okay to take a shot at a goaltender standing in the crease when that when that guy Greenway wasn't even knocked into him. Yeah. No. 
All right, that's going to do it for us. Anything else, Dan, or do we got to run? That's it for today. That's it for today. Guys, great job back at the station. Mace, you were fantastic as always. I will try and do better tomorrow. Make it the best possible night you can. Cause, cause see.